I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay. Today we are talking about Arrival, the 2016 film directed by Denis Villeneuve, written by Eric Heiserer, based on the story of your life by Ted Chang. We are with the Lessons from the Screenplay team, Trisha Arant. Hello, everyone. Brian Bittner. Hello. And Alex Cayetos. Hi. So Arrival is a movie, and so I... I Correct. I, I, <laughs> The end. The end. I went back and I watched the video that I made on Arrival, and it's kind of in my head a very pivotal video in the history of lessons from the screenplay. Like I think it was it's video number seventeen, which at the time felt like I've been doing this for forever, and there was just something about this video like I wanted to make it special, and I'd reached out to Eric Heiserer on Facebook randomly, just sent him a message, and mm-hmm. he actually like responded, and we were very close to getting him to come and like be interviewed and be Mm. part of the video but it ended up not happening um but it was a moment where it felt like the channel had kind of like grown and matured such that i felt comfortable reaching out to a screenwriter and so i've like i have warm memories thinking back to arrival and the video about arrival and also watching it i felt like it's probably one of the better videos or it's just like it's very comprehensive Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. as i was thinking about all the things i wanted to say about arrival I then watched the video and I was like, oh, I kind of said a bunch of these things. Anyway, but it's also interesting how my feelings on Arrival have shifted since the time it came out and what the process of dissecting it uh, kind of left me with. And the short story is amazing. And so there's just so many things to talk about. But I want to hear from you guys. Like, what do you think about Arrival and what does it mean to you? And Trisha, it was very high on your list, or both, both, both. Yeah, you guys it, was, had... it was number five for both of us. Both on Alex, best right. films of the decade. Yeah. yeah. So, yes. so talk to talk about Arrival. I mean, it's you know when we talked about our top ten films of the decade, we didn't go in, into detail about mm-hmm. ten through four, uh, but we did go into detail about one through three. And her was one of mine. And I think Michael, you were saying it's such an Alex movie. It's got all the Alex <laughs> things in it. And I think arrival that tone. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It was no. I don't know why. Yeah, it came out that way. <laughs> but such an Alex. <laughs> it's so Alex. But I think arrival similarly strikes a lot of Alex chords. I guess sure. uh, in the sense that it's about it's a grounded sci-fi movie that tries to actually really go deep with a what if, like what if twelve alien crafts land on Earth? What actually would be the reaction of the global community? How would this actually play out? How complicated would it actually be to try to communicate with completely different species? You know, mm-hmm. like it really embraces the complexity of all of that and, mm-hmm. and goes to all those places. And then on top of that, it's basically a time travel movie, yeah, uh, which I love. And I love, you know, playing with the causality of time and, you know, you know, if something happened in the future or the past, but it affects the present and what came first nothing nothing came first it's all happening at once you know i love movies that screw with your mind that way and and this one did it in a really interesting way it wasn't your usual time travel conceit it was this using language as the mechanism for time travel it was a very just original idea and then on top of that just the filmmaker denis Villeneuve. i love his mm-hmm. uh, his style i love the way he shoots his films I love his choice of composer. I love, you know, <laughs> it was both Johan Johansson's music uh, as, as the main score. And I'm so sad he's gone. It's like a yeah, tragedy because he's is. such an amazing composer. But then the, Max mov- Richter. the movie's book ended with this Max Richter music, which is, I, it, it was funny. I was at Sundance and they there was a live uh, Max Richter performance there mm-hmm. of his composition called Sleep. And the Sundance programmer in- that introduced him said that that 
track on the nature of daylight that's at the beginning and end of arrival is the most used piece of temp music in yeah. submissions to oh, some wow. dance. like everybody uses it because it's just such a it's almost like a cheat code like that mm-hmm. there's something about that track that is so moving it is and i love I me mean, max richter is one of my favorite composers right now in the industry um so just yeah it had everything i want from movie in in it so of course i loved it yeah, I recently rewatched it with uh, my parents, actually, who had never seen it. And, you know, I put it at number five because I was like, I- I'd seen it twice the mo- the year that it came out, which was in 2016. And I just remembered being so moved by it. And then when I watched it like a couple days ago with my parents, every minute that I was sitting in it, I was like, I love this movie. <laughs> Again, it- it's a lot of that stuff that like really speaks to me. Obviously, uh, language and linguistics are something that like completely turned me on and I'm just so fascinated by and um like what she says about language is the the foundation of civilization and it's the first weapon drawn in a conflict and I was just like ah yes <laughs> and, and it's a he, smart movie and it, ew, and it doesn't so it doesn't smart. dumb it down yeah mm-hmm. it's exactly that it's a very very intelligent movie with a very intelligent woman at the center of it and in no way does it ever pander to her. Like no one around her is pandering to her. Sure. And at the same time, it's it's kind of a little bit of that effect where, um, I don't know, I was thinking about it when I was watching it this time. We can get into it more. But like thinking about when we were discussing Silence of the Lambs and how Clarice is like the, the only woman in the room, you know, most of the time. And, and that's very a big part of the movie. It's a huge part of the movie, but it allows her to be vulnerable in a way that like men and women alike, you connect to her. Like when, mm-hmm. the, when the camera is pointed at her face and the same with Amy Adams in this film and she's tremendous in it. But when the camera is right there close and pointed at her face and she's so vulnerable that first time that she goes up into the the craft and mm-hmm. she's like breathing heavily and you can tell that she's really scared and you can tell that what's happening is totally crazy and and you know she's so overmatched and yet she goes and does it anyway and like every cho- every choice that she makes every second to stay in it and try and really reach out and she makes all these incredibly brave choices and yet she's scared at every moment it's oh it's a really really beautiful character study while being this tense sci-fi like really tautly directed and gorgeously filmed movie uh, and i love everything about it i mean it's not for me, it's not 100% perfect, but it's really close. It's a great film. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Brian? I mean, look, it's no The Arrival from 1996 with Charlie Sheen, son of President Bartlett, and Richard Schiff <laughs> and Terry Polo from The West Wing. I mean, it's basically like a West Wing. I think prequel. you're the only person that knows that movie exists. Uh, you guys are younger than me. No, I love this movie. I think it's great. It's funny because Arrival and Annihilation have very similar premises, but they're extremely like very different movies obviously but they both sort of like thinking about top 10 films of the decade like they both were kind of like no they they both kind of didn't quite do everything for i think arrival is a better movie like don't get me wrong um but arrival sort of is like so good at all the technical aspects and being very like well made and then annihilation is very good at being like moody and dirty and like all the that kind of side of, but they both kind of don't do the other thing enough for me in a weird mm-hmm. way. It's not like a rival doesn't hit me on an emotional level the way that I 
want it to, but I also think it's and obviously it does for you. Like Trisha and I always look at each other. The beginning and ending. I I think it's great. Sorry about your soul, Brian. Yeah, I I think it's great. Her um, daughter. I think I think the movie is great. It just it like and watching it a second time, I appreciated it more. And I I again I do love the movie. Uh, it's just one of those movies that sort of I think Denis Villeneuve in general as a filmmaker, I'm like. Everything you're doing is great, and I love it, and I want more of it, and I'm excited for Dune, and yes, yes, yes. But then there's sort of this element to it that feels a little cold to me, and it doesn't quite hit me in, in the way that I want to. It's the Fincher effect. Almost. It is a little. You know, he, he, like, he's, he shares a lot with Fincher. Latter-day yeah. Fincher. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that's like literally the only negative thing I have to say about Arrival because I'm here to talk about this movie, which I think is great. I feel like my journey has kind of been from the Alex Trisha side to the Brian side a little bit. And I think crafting the the video on Arrival, it kind of had this effect that it always happens for me is like, I I love a movie. And so it's like, I want to get in there and like figure out how it works. And then you take it apart and you kind of figure out how it works and it's not as special anymore. And I feel like Arrival is like the final product is kind of a miracle uh, of just like all the work that went in to mm-hmm. like make it arrive at its final product. Uh, like once you kind of understand all of that, for me anyway, it's it's impossible to just watch it as a movie anymore. So I remember sitting in the theater watching it and, and, and I think it's very much of the the time it came out like the power like it was right after the 2016 election days after the election that (laughs) we saw it so like thinking about you know world events and countries not talking to each other maybe right it was it was (laughs) powerful for for many of those reasons and so so i think the film is great and but i think learning about how difficult it was to make and then going and reading the short story like i I fell in love with the short story Mm. and i think now the short story works for me better than the movie because there's just something so elegant and simple about the short story and they're very different in a lot of ways um but for me the, the short story is kind of after reading that and then going and watching the movie i'm like ah the movie doesn't do these things that I, the short story does that's just more up my alley um but so i think there's a ton of things to talk about short story wise and construction of the film wise and there's there's so much to unpack with uh with this movie. One of the things I want to talk about is the editor and in, in the special features, there's a, a really cool piece on the editing of uh, Arrival and it's interviewing the editor and very rarely do special features ever talk to the editors. And it's such an important yes. part yes. of the process. Yes. The third rewrite. It, it gets at this thing that I really like to think about, which is that film is a language. And I think that's one of the cool like meta mm-hmm. aspects that resonates with the story of the film is uh-huh. like the film is about language, but like film is language also. And the editor talks about how time is kind of the weapon of the editor. And like, yes. as an editor, you're wielding time and you can make a moment stretch out to be really long or get through things faster. Mm. And there's just so much editing that needed to happen. And is going on to make the story work that it's, it's amazing what they were able to to arrive at. I said I just showed this to my parents and you know once you know the the central twist or quote unquote twist at the middle of this where like what you're what you've seen is not a flashback it hasn't happened yet right that like sort of opening up style of prologue like that was like deep cinema satisfaction for me. (laughs) Yes. 
cinema G spot, you might say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I realized that that was happening. Uh-huh. It was interesting watching it with people who had never seen it before because I was like, are they going to figure it out? Because once you know it, you can't unsee it. And right, it starts right. to become like obvious in that way that twists do. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, and, and my dad, it was interesting to hear him. He was like verbally processing as stuff was being shown. And so when she started to see flashes of her daughter, which really ha- start to happen right about at the midpoint, right? right. Which is what you're talking about it's a very clever editing technique and writing technique to Mm -hmm. not bring that in because that's happening throughout the short story but they really save it in the movie to not start those flashes back to the daughter don't really happen until the midpoint but once those started happening my dad was going like oh so her daughter actually saw the future so like this is like a situation where the daughter's like whole life this is kind of like signs right where it's like the daughter yeah the daughter like was foreshadowing all of this so I'm hearing him trying to like figure out the twist he's like swing Meryl swing (laughs) (laughs) no exactly he was doing that thing where he was he knew that what he was being shown was significant Mm -hmm. and was in some way telling the story But I was just thinking he never did figure it out until it was really revealed uh, much later. And I was just thinking about the power, the simple, simple power of putting something before something else in Mm -hmm. a movie. Right. Mm -hmm. You just showed it to us beforehand. Right. And, And for whatever reason, our brains locked it in, even though we've seen flashbacks and flash forwards and we've seen so many of it like cross cutting we we've seen it it's in film language and yet the very act of when you put it first we assume it came first and nothing yeah. will talk us out of well, it it's not just, until we have to be talked out of it it's not just putting it first it's the sort of interstitial sort of element that we associate with flashback which is if you're watching a character for 15 minutes and then you see a 30 second sequence you assume that's a flashback you don't assume it's something right. that's going to happen later yes 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 why would you and and it, so it's yes yeah, it's, it's using the medium of film and what we understand about film to its advantage mm-hmm. which is I love it whenever movies can do that yeah. you thought it was the up prologue but right. actually it wasn't like, <laughs> right <laughs> yeah when, it's and the it's the up so, epilogue <laughs> it just to like underscore what you're saying Brian that it's the medium is putting us in the headspace of the protagonist where we are remembering the future because we saw it first. Yes. Right. So we are remembering it the way that she is remembering it, which I feel like is one of the which triumphs is, which of is, this movie. Which is like a miracle. Like, how do you simulate this impossible thing that she's experiencing? But they, yeah, with the ordering in the edit, they do manage to simulate the experience. And it also helps that she figures it out at the same time we figure it out. The non-zero-sum yeah. game moment right is when she starts going wait a minute what's going on here and that's when we go wait a minute what's going on well i mean that that was when they gave me chills in the theater i was like oh my god this movie (laughs) is not just an alien movie it's a time travel movie (laughs) yes yes uh it's funny because the other time that that's been done that i've seen recently is in watchmen um, yes. which I read the graphic novel Watchmen before the show came out and Dr. Manhattan experiences all time at once. Mm-hmm. Right. So he, yeah. will, he will basically say like, it's 1984 and I am here, but also it's 10 minutes from now and you're leaving the room crying. And his partner will say like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to do that. And then 10 minutes later, she leaves the room crying and you're like, oh, okay. He sees everything at once. And the difference is he sort of experiences everything at once 
and he's just he just goes with it. He doesn't really make decisions for the most part. Sometimes he does, but for the most part, he's just like, "Welp, this is it." Whereas Arrival, obviously, it's giving her the tool of seeing time all at once in order to be able to utilize it to make a choice, like and, consciously utilize right, it. Exactly, and that's one of the biggest changes from the short story to the movie. And I think that's why in the video, I felt like this was a good set of works to look at as far as like how do you adapt something from you know a book to a movie because like movies are about choice like characters they have to be have to make choices and that's one of the things Eric Heiser talked about was and the short story is very much about determinism and that there is no free will and you kind of just you know in that Louise is that even her name in yeah, it? Yeah. it is right yeah, yeah. that she she kind of gains this knowledge and they talk about like the book of ages where like suddenly she's able to know everything, but you can't change anything. Right. Her analogy is she's performing her lines in a play essentially mm -hmm. where she's like, I know this script. No one else around me knows it, but I'm going to do my lines and they're going to do their lines. And, and in a way like, she, you know, in, in the short story, she sort of concludes that that is freedom question mark. Well, the, the, the idea of the book of ages is that it's a, logical fallacy right it's, of course it is if yeah. you can see everything that's going to happen then you can make a decision that's not going to happen but if you can make that decision then you can't see everything that's going to happen so it just doesn't right. work yeah, yeah. yeah and so that was one of the things eric Kaiser took to ted chang when he was saying like these are the things i want to try to change and figure out for the movie is i think it's more powerful if in this world louise does have free will and chooses to have her child despite knowing what's going to happen mm -hmm. to her. That, that's the whole ending of the movie is that choice. Right. You know, that, that's the last line of the movie. Right. And so it's, again, I feel like that underscores the difference between what you can do in a book and what you can do in a conventional movie anyways. Like the character has to make that choice. And kind of the ripple effect of that change was also, you know, in the book, uh, the child dies at 25 in a rock climbing accident. Mm -hmm. But if there's free will... He was like, well, it can't be a rock climbing accident because she would just call her the day before and be yeah. like, and her don't go rock, rock climbing, climbing. Yeah. rock yeah. climbing tomorrow. And so that's why it, it's sort of changed to this incurable disease right. where it's just inevitable that she will die. And also they had to change the age of the child because mm -hmm. film is a visual medium. Mm -hmm. And so if it was 25 years in the future, Amy Adams would look much more different. So they had to make the child younger. So it's believable. You couldn't fake us out with right. the future you past stuff. trick yeah. the audience in that yeah, same I mean, way. I mean, the video that you did on Arrival is so like good and all encompassing that every time I've thought about, oh, this movie's great because of how it adapted this, you know, story. I'm like, yeah, but the arrival video already exists. <laughs> so the only time I got around it was Minority Report where it was like, oh, there was an original short story and then there was another script and then there was the final script and they all kind of had different takes on everything. Hey guys, I want to quickly tell you about a film I recently saw on Mubi called VHS Massacre, Cult Films and the Decline of Physical Media. It's a documentary that examines the relationship between filmmaking and the mediums through which we experience film. It tracks the rise and fall of physical media, from Betamax and VHS all the way through Blu-rays and the emergence of streaming services, exploring how each change of medium also changed the kind of movies that got made. The documentary is full of nostalgia for anyone who remembers walking through the aisles of a blockbuster video but also highlights the new kinds of opportunities for filmmakers that have come with the popularization of streaming. It's only fitting that this documentary can be seen on Mubi, which is a different kind of streaming service and the sponsor of this episode of Beyond the Screenplay. 
Mubi is a curated service showing exceptional, hand-picked films from around the globe. It's a great place to discover films that you might not find by searching on your own or by relying on an algorithm. And you can try Mubi for free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash beyond the screenplay. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash beyond the screenplay. In doing so, you'll be helping to support this show and getting 30 days of exceptional cinema. So whether you want to check out the film I mentioned or discover some of their other gems for yourself, you can do it all today at Mubi.com slash Beyond the Screenplay. Thanks to Mubi for sponsoring Beyond the Screenplay. It's interesting anytime someone has to say, how can I take this and adapt it into something else? One thing I always think of with adaptation is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, mm-hmm. which the book is told from Chief Bromden's point of view. Exactly. And Chief Bromden is crazy. So the book is crazy. It's like, he's like, oh, then I went down to the basement and all the machines were there, like who make the world work and like all this kind of stuff. Yep. And then Milos Forman and whoever actually wrote, I don't know who actually wrote the uh, the movie, they took the story, the surface story of the book, and they turned that into a movie. And it's one of the only three movies ever to win like the big five Oscars. You know, it's a good damn movie, but it's not an adaptation of the book. It's an adaptation of the story the book is telling while it's also doing this whole other thing. And Arrival is a really good example of something that is adapting the sort of heart and soul of the story. Right, because the story itself, I mean, it doesn't actually get into a lot of the more socio-political implications of you know, the the larger world around mm-hmm. right. the story. I mean, mm-hmm. at least I didn't get I didn't get as much richness. It's a much more internal. Yeah, it's yeah. Story. It's an internally, and it's it's kind of written almost like to her daughter, and it, it, there's there's a difference in the way it's told, and and I think what I love about the film adaptation is that it takes the com- like the, there's almost like a dry math yeah. complexity to the to the dialogue i'm going to object to the word dry but we can get into that Continue. <laughs> i mean i found it sometimes difficult uh, to be honest like I, I i found some of the like the like the long paragraphs of like getting into just like basically like we're reading a textbook right now about this subject the I, refraction of light yeah the water. like like it's, yeah it's interesting yeah. stuff but but like i had to change my expectations of what i was like reading like i had, mm-hmm. I had to go from like i'm reading drama to like this is like a heady exploration of things for periods of time. And then we kind of return to like an emotional core. So, which is fine. I like that too. But I think what I'm impressed by in the movie is that he retained some of the heady uh, intellectual ideas just enough, you know, just the right amount to kind of give us the depth of the story, but it was more grounded in the emotional journey for me. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And I think another thing that really makes that work for me. So I've done a couple of pieces that are sort of like related to this, actually. Like I've written a few things myself that are sort of in the same world as Arrival a little bit. I wrote one uh, short film about astrophysicists uh, at the South Pole, female astrophysicists at the South Pole, um, like wintering over. And there's a lot of talk about like very complex astrophysics. I also wrote a short film about a young woman who has experienced dreams her whole life and essentially they start coming true and then they like lead her to meet the person she's going to marry but then they also like lead the two of them where she ends up like basically being able to rescue them out of a situation because she knows what's going to happen kind of thing and with both of those films 
it's really hard to strike that balance between like some of these dreamlike, emotional, sort of um, malachy kind of poetic <laughs> things versus like these very scientific concepts. And we see movies like Interstellar try to do this, right? Where it's right. like, where's the human story right. buried in the science? Right. And how do you carry those both of those things on these two sides of the scale? I think that Arrival does it spectacular. Right. I think it's one of the better examples exactly. of like, there's super intellectual conversations that don't feel like incongruous with the deep emotional aspects of the film. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they, they merge really well. And honestly, I think a, a big part of the reason for me why that works is because the language of the basically Amy Adams's character, Louise, uh, she is a linguist, but she says relatively little in this mm. story. Mm-hmm. Like she actually, we mostly when we see her, she's sitting and working silently and we see what she's working on and we see like her commitment to what she's working on. But actually it's not like, you know, she, when she has to explain things to Weber, she does. But most of the time she is just sitting and we're kind of with her psychological state. But we understand that the science is going on. So like we don't need all of the science of how those coffee ring um, logograms work. You know, we are kind of picking up and it's the, the design of them is amazing and cool. And, and yeah. you know, they obviously oh, great re- they really design all they around. really wrote yeah. a whole language for this movie, which is super cool. But we don't have to have it's not that like exposition heavy science heavy kind of stuff that I think would weigh down the emotional story. We really are just staying focused with Louise and seeing her kind of working silently and working through things yeah. really quickly. You, you mentioned the working silently. And I think watching the movie again, it really struck me how introverted the character is yeah and you don't very really, much you don't see protagonists often in films especially like female protagonists who are really introverted in, right. and in, a, in an honest to life way and i think it, at first when i first saw this film i was like this is like almost too understated a performance or this is there's a lot of quiet but now i kind of really appreciate it because i'm like no there's a lot of there's people that they prefer to be quiet mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they prefer not to talk and they prefer to to just focus and it's it's just really cool to see a protagonist that is authentically like embodying that type of kind person. of personality yeah. exactly it's, it's also partially that amy adams never looks like she's acting yeah like she's, I mean, like she's some, tremendous she's yeah. so natural that you're right. just like oh, i'm just watching a person this is this is strange yeah i want to return to the short story really quick mm-hmm. and i don't want to set this up as a competition between which is better the short film or the short story or, or the film then don't I'm, and I'm saying it, so I am not. But I feel like the the things... I just want to kind of explain my experience of reading this, this short story. And so as someone that is a science nerd and loves physics, like I feel like if film hadn't worked out, like I probably would have like, let's go into like physics and math and stuff. Like I find that fascinating and there's beauty in that to sure. me. And I feel like that's what's so unique about this short story like you know for recreation uh, for a long time i would watch science videos on youtube like i i find that really fascinating and i've never encountered a story that is so meticulous in the explanation of science and like the the beauty and the fascinating like mind-blowingness of how of what our reality is and matched that as equally with this emotional like parent child relationship like it's it's doing the human emotion stuff as hard as it's doing the science 
And for someone that presses all the buttons for, like, that is like miraculous. So like I, I read this short story and I was like, oh, this is like a masterpiece. And like, I understand why Eric Heiser was so obsessed with it was it's doing all these things all at once. And I think the thing that then changed for me is that now when I watch Arrival, and this isn't a, a knock against Arrival, but now I see the things that can't be on screen mm-hmm. because of... It's a different medium. Yeah. yeah. The, mm. the I don't even want to say limitations, but yeah, the, the differences in the medium. And so now that's kind of my experience where it's like we see her quietly doing science-y things but in the book it's she's like, explaining every it's single explaining bit everything yeah. like super and, in depth about like right this terminology and, and what like, it means and, by the end when they're explaining yeah just how the speech works and like all the stuff i feel like i'm arriving at the place where she's at we're like oh yeah no like the way we see the world is completely wrong and like you could just perceive time in this way and i feel like that i get to nerd out about that right. in the short story and which you get a taste of in the in the film like it is there but it's different yeah and i think one thing the film does both of them do really well is you have these two central characters one of whom is a linguist and one of whom is a scientist so you have these opposing ideas so already you have these opposing ways of looking at a concept and then i i love the moment where she erases his science to write words on the chalk on the uh dry erase board where i'm just mm-hmm. like and in the book it's actually opposite it's the opposite in the book right yeah. mm-hmm. but, but in the you know he has all these equations written and she's like nah let me erase this just to like put some words on here and i think that's really cool um yeah so i just think it's it's interesting because just those two characters who aren't really in conflict but their ideals are in conflict in the way that they are sort of thinking about different ways to approach the the idea that they are trying to solve. Well, because there's almost like a status in sciences, I feel like. Mm. Where like physics, I mean, that's definitely true. Right. And so I, I, I like that both the movie and the story kind of like poke at that and are like, well, maybe actually like this other mode of thinking is the more important one if you're dealing with an alien race that's completely different which is also something i love about both of these things it feels like an alien race like it's not Mm -hmm. humanish at all it's right true mm-hmm. alien which i really love the design see. of the heptapods yeah. of the movie is really cool like i the I sound design the sound design is amazing sound you pointed this out in the video michael but you know in the short story they're basically like looking at a screen mm-hmm. right where the aliens haven't actually landed and they're then, skyping they're yeah. skyping <laughs> and then in eric heiser's words yeah. and then imagine like think about that shot where you're coming up where you're in the helicopter and you're coming in the the mist is coming over the mountains and then the huge shell is standing up vertically it's so cool mm. i remember seeing that in the theater and just being like this is a new kind of alien movie it's an alien movie that thinks of itself not really as an alien movie right mm-hmm. like well i mean i think that whole there's a whole sequence in that part of the movie that almost pushes the limits of moving too slowly where you know the entire it, like first 40 it's minutes very yeah, meditative. Is, yeah, yeah it's yes. like you know, Denis Villeneuve is like, I'm like, I'm French Canadian. I'm gonna make, <laughs> I'm gonna make a European art film for a little bit here, okay? Like, we're gonna like real time go into this ship and like really, literally real time. It, it, yeah. it takes like, it feels like it takes like 20 minutes for him to get like from the camp into the ship. <laughs> I love the pacing. I think it but, works so well. But I, I love that he went for it, and, well, he, and it's a studio movie, and he did it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the way that he earned it—it's not a studio movie. Oh, but yeah. Oh, it was, it was distributed it was, by. Paramount. It was distributed by studios, but it was double funded by two independent um, 
companies because he took it to studios once and they were like this idea is awesome it's never going to be a movie and then he like wrote a script and they were like the script is amazing it's never going to be a movie like science intellectualism female lead sorry man and so he had to get it like privately funded by these two other companies and then the studios and then they made all their money back and it was a great movie yep they made a studios on the money yeah but sorry what were you saying brian i think the way it earns the pacing to be able to take a lot of time is how quickly it gets into the plot at the forefront of the movie. Yeah. So it's not, yep. here's people and their everyday thing. And then like, oh, alien showed up. It's just like, hey, alien showed up. You're a linguist. We need your help. I'm not going to go. Yeah, you are. Okay, let's go. You know, and then it's <laughs> like, so right. like five, five minutes into the movie, maybe eight minutes or something like that. Like you're off to the races. Yeah. And then it earns him the time to sort of say, okay, now what does it actually feel like to experience this thing that you've never experienced before. Right, and, and he really goes for the experiential approach in the sound design throughout. Like, when the helicopters come and land yes! in your house, they're so loud. Mm. And it, 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 he really just puts you in the spaces uh, of the movie. And I, I really appreciate that from any filmmaker. Well, you're with her. With like, her, Like, there yeah. is absolutely no scene in this movie Except for I think maybe there's like one or two with the like soldiers when they're like watching the, right. the news, whatever, and then they're deciding to do their bomb or whatever they're deciding to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like basically you're with her the whole time. And again, that goes back into like, I don't know. I have this joke that like sometimes the most the best thing you can do as a filmmaker is just get a beautiful woman and a beautiful and interesting woman and put the camera like six inches from her face. And honestly, we'll maybe watch her do anything for two hours. Truly. Right. Like and and this movie sort of keeps you with her in that way. And so, yeah. And it goes back to all the sound design, all the silence. She is an introverted person, but because she knows so little and she doesn't ask like that's the other thing she is being taken to this place like they're telling her like we're gonna give you this shot and you're gonna be we're gonna zip you into this suit she doesn't ask anything she doesn't have any questions because she knows all of this will be revealed right Mm. and in the same way that we as an audience member sit and we don't ask maybe in our heads we do but we try to just wait and and that creates that tension of waiting where we know a movie is going to reveal itself to us in the time and when you're in the hands of a master filmmaker you trust that even more and you're just like this is going to show itself to me i'm going to have the answers that i want i can't wait to find out what they are and in the meantime i can't do anything but ride along she feels like she's doing that as well and, mm-hmm. and part of that is the character design it's it's really really great and, and that, that sort of piggybacks off of what i was just talking about which is it's a little bit talking to the audience and saying like look we've seen alien arrival movies before yeah like so we don't need to spend that time you like mm-hmm. what do you mean there's alien it's like no they're here let's go like mm-hmm. yeah well i actually like the stoicism on like mm-hmm. her face and the students faces when they turn on the tv oh, yeah. that moment that seems like an interesting choice because instead of like screaming and hysteria yeah, freaking out it's right. like everybody's brains just froze like, like this isn't possible. So my brain has just turned off and I'm just like in a stasis watching this. It's a collective. Huh? Yeah. A bit more than that. I feel like that moment is really significant and signaling tonally. Like this is yes. what this movie. Right. This is not is. a normal, like freak out alien movie. Right. right. This yeah. is the like, you know, nine 11 is happening and like, no one knows what to do about it, but like, like, can you turn on the TV? So, like, right. Like, yeah. It's a very real reaction of just like fear 
and doing kind of like what you know you have to do to get to the next part of existing in this moment. Well, then when she's leaving the school and like people right. are bumping into other with their cars and like there's right. planes flying overhead and like generally it seems like things are happening and it's panicking. And But yeah. that's the most it gets. You're not cutting to the freeway where everyone sure. is like trying right. to leave like town. Yeah. On the news, but it's not. Right. Yeah. And that's very much what, what Danny Villeneuve brought to it. And I think that's, again, why this it's such an interesting study of like film and how film gets made because, you know, watching it again, kind of knowing where she ends up and her relationship with them, with the aliens, like the aliens are like cool, like they're like BFFs by the end, it right. feels like. And so it's in one way, it's been weird for me watching again, being like, you spend 40 minutes, like the beginning of the movie is almost like horror. Like there's there's so much yeah. tension. It's the unknown. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, once you know what it where it goes, it loses some of its power. But on that first viewing, right. you don't know what's going to happen. And I feel like that's, again, why this movie is like, it's almost like cheating is how it feels where it's like this this almost like shouldn't work like on paper i don't know that this makes sense or is the right call but like obviously it was the freaking right call because it's amazing <laughs> and that always like messes with my brain but yeah so much tension is built into the reveal of the aliens that like by the end of that sequence you're just completely with her another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So this movie was made for less than $50 million. And so... I'm sure some of those choices were budgetary, right? Like where if you had had a studio involved, they probably would have wanted to be like, well, and then we cut to like the the huge like thing. And, the protests and, and in D.C. Yeah, yeah, and like the, there's mass <laughs> chaos. And then and there's we cut to the president and then there's a thing. You know, it's just like, you know, it becomes something more like Independence, Independence Day. Day. <laughs> right, yeah. Or, or even I was thinking about something like Deep Impact, which is like a little bit of a smaller human story, but mm-hmm. kind of the same apocalyptic Um Someone with, with a quiet place where they were like, we don't want to cut to the right. president. We, like, we don't want mm-hmm. to cut to those mm-hmm. things. And so by turning down, well, studios turned down them. But like, again, these sort of like lower budget sci-fi things, it enables you to be or forces you to be a little more creative in a way that ultimately ends up serving the material a lot better. Um, and so I'm really glad that like we have to stay with her. There's a lot of stuff she doesn't know because she doesn't experience it directly. You have those shots where she's sitting in her the most beautiful lake house ever. Right. Yeah. This time I was also like, did you make enough what? money to yeah. live in this what? place? They pay those professors well at that yeah, university. Yes. <laughs> I mean, who knows where she is, but maybe, you know, really beautiful home. But she's sitting there and she's watching the news broadcasts and that's kind of as close as you get. And it feels like that, again, is the human experience of what a disaster feels like. Right. That's Mm -hmm. all of us watching our TVs on Mm 9-11. Like, we know that there was like, there were people screaming and dying in the streets, but we were most of us weren't there. Most of us were sitting on our couches at home watching our televisions. And so keeping us with her and again, keeping that sort of centered and focused 
whether it's for budgetary reasons or not, is sometimes a really smart choice, especially in this kind of film. I think this movie, better than most, used like the news broadcast as a storytelling tool. Yes. Because a lot of other movies when... Doesn't feel contrived. Yeah, there's a lot of... and, And like... Even the casting and the way just the performance of the news people seem better than average. Like, I, I can't tell you how many, like, big studio movies I see, and they cut to, like, a news report, and it just feels really cheap and bad and weird. There's also and, an yeah. interesting thing. This is, like, totally separate, but it's a little related, which is I do like when a movie does either a sports broadcast or a news broadcast, and they actually use, like, the cameras and the graphics that like yeah you would yeah. have because a lot of times it's like oh i'm clearly watching an actor do a news broadcast because it doesn't even look like a news broadcast yeah, it, like it was mm-hmm. shot on the alexa and like yeah yeah <laughs> i want to know what you think about the third act of this so like at the midpoint of the film we start to really get hints that something else is going on with the daughter these flashbacks as we perceive them at the time, mm-hmm. are becoming more and more significant to her. They're breaking into her consciousness. They're really disturbing her. And then as the third act begins and it it sort of starts to become clear what's actually going on, I want to know what you think about the way it unravels and how the reveals are ordered. What do you think? I think it works really well, especially on first viewing. I think this is kind of one of those, the problems as I've gone you know, when I read this, the original screenplay and kind of listened to them talk about the editing process, like, I feel like now I can feel the, you know, we're at this point in the movie and, and kind of like you were saying, Louise doesn't say a lot and doesn't do a lot. Like, there aren't a whole lot of like choices for her to make that like have repercussions. There's a lot of external pressures that have to happen. And so I kind of feel that now when the third act comes and it's like, well, this we've introduced China is bad and like now they're going to be super bad. And so now there's a more of a ticking clock kind of thing. So I feel like it's one of those things where, you know, it probably isn't following all the rules and what's supposed to happen, but the world is affecting her and affecting the story such that we're still feeling the emotional beats when we're supposed to feel them. Um, and so it, it works. And that's, it, again, in, in listening to them talk about the editing process, you know, I think Denis Villeneuve said it was the hardest and the longest editing process he'd ever been on because, you know, if you're dealing with time and like there's just there's so <laughs> when to many, reveal what when to, re- to reveal yeah. what and like how to reveal. And and so especially the montage that happens around the midpoint where Jeremy Renner is like, let me tell you about like what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> hey, guys, Which I'm I- in this movie, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Which Jeremy- I, I really love that montage, by the way. It works super well. It does work. Yeah. And but it. it it came about because there was like three or four other scenes that just like, yeah, like we need this piece of information from that one and that one. Yeah. And so let's just, we're just going to make a montage out of it. Okay. Mm. And it, <laughs> and it works. It's just like, here's two minutes. We're going to tell you all this. This is what you need to know for the movie to move on. Now the movie can move on. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it it's got a great piece of music. Well, as it far does. as, as far as like the third act goes, um, were you trying to kind of get at something in particular, Trisha? Cause I, I think it's a great third act. I agree. I think that the way the denouement comes together, I don't know. I'm wondering, for me, it's just like once we get to the reveal of, well, okay, then she has seen the future. So it's like after she goes back up into the ship, right? And then the heptapods give her the gift of like seeing all time. Mm-hmm. Um, then it sort of starts to become, well, okay, what do you do with it? And that part of the plot, the plot that has to then happen. Right. 
I'm curious because that's where I start to bump on the movie. Where well, I'm like, well, she conveniently flashes to the gala, gala, the gala yeah. where she's. It, it does yeah. feel like, and now she has to save and now the world. A plot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that is not in the short story, right? Because the short story does kind of just peter out a little at the end where you're like wait well then what happened maybe it's because i've seen the movie but it's a little bit like and yeah. then what you know it's yeah the, the short story is very much about like her and her experience and like kind of everything else about like aliens are invading like is in the background right yeah. like doesn't right the, the bigger world story is yeah. not as important yeah. yeah yeah i was gonna say that i think because once again especially on the first viewing it is such a revelation to realize that mm-hmm. one everything she's been seeing is like at a different point in time seeing and then the alien then confirms it to her that it is the future uh, when she asks like who is this girl what is this girl mm-hmm. louise sees the future so we really only just got confirmation that she's seeing the future it, it i think there's just such a thrill in then going to any point in the future and then having her realize she can take that information back to the present that yeah it, it, in some ways i can see how it maybe isn't earned or it's cheating or something to just kind of introduce this new element at that point but it because the twist is so satisfying and because it has been set up there is general chang is a presence throughout the movie and yeah, you know it's, it's all about you know it's, it's interesting commentary on the world too of you know all these countries are following china's lead you know what's china gonna do so i think i don't know for me it, it, i've never bumped on it it always felt like it was just the next exciting thing to come out of this amazing twist I, yeah, I feel like it works because there's just so much emotional momentum in the movie yes. that starts. I think, I think again, that that tension buildup is sort of like the going up the roller coaster. So you like you have all this like built up stuff, and then I feel like the rest of the movie does a good job of like hitting each emotional beat and like now this thing's happening and this thing. You bet you didn't see that coming. That's crazy. And like there is this building up of energy that I think takes you all the way through the end and delivers a very satisfying emotional. Uh, conclusion so it kind of overrides plot stuff and the it, the plot is really just there to kind of serve that emotional ride and i think it all like works and time travel stuff but... always kind of is never perfect you know <laughs> it's that's hard true. that's it's absolutely hard. true yeah the, the thing that's a question for me is like the first f- quote-unquote flashbacks but they're actually flash forwards you see I don't think we see Louise having a response to them. So I think for me, I start to wonder when is she actually having these? Like, mm. is every time we see it happening in her head, but then we don't find out until later? Or is that a little bit of film trickery where we're being shown things that she's not starting to see? I yet? think she's seen them, but she's just kind of like, what was that? Like, like it's think, a very understated reaction. I think they're I think. more like, I think maybe they're not as clear as we're seeing them. Mm-hmm. You know, I think maybe in her brain, it's like, what am I doing? I feel like there's about? also a sound cue, isn't yeah. there, where that she like starts to like it's hear. Like a, there's like a paper. While she yeah. like hears, yeah. And I feel like again, I'm talking about like even the the opening of the movie. Like, sure. I don't well, think that's, well, I don't, I don't, oh yeah. yeah, I don't think the I opening of the that. movie is supposed to be like a present time flash. Right. And that's where it gets tricky for me because like that's, it's a little bit of the movie. It's cheating. Kind of, right. It's cheating in a way that works for the movie, but that also makes me having watched it the second time. Now I'm still kind of going, wait, when, when is she actually seeing it versus it's just something we're being. Well, shown? well I feel, I feel like the beginning of the movie, we're just being shown like right. that present time of her life. But then know? that, then that does then, make it feel like, kind of pulling the rug out from me where it's like oh but also she's seeing it and then also it's the future and also now she has to save the world like it's it's where it gets a little just like it's not perfect even though i think it works really well i think it's perfect i love it i think it's a movie where if you try to 
analyze it and judge it objectively, it can fall apart quickly, mm. but the emotional construction of it is right. spot on. Absolutely. Well, because, and I think I'm just so impressed with the movie that can both still feel like a like a whole like it 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 has a holistic quality to it that has both this like big socio-political story with like all the governments are turning off their monitors and you know right, we, which, we, and that part is yeah. really thematically effective when, yeah you know, like we're not a, talking to each other for a movie about right. communication right. right and 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 that is one of the changes you talked about michael in the video from the from the short story which is like the actual gift that the aliens end up giving her in the movie is their language and their language itself is this is what is, is what unifies right exactly and, yeah. like mm-hmm. their language has no beginning and end in order to read or write their language you have to be able to see all time at once essentially and so that it you know in in, in the book it's like a lot less clear and like i completely disagree but i understand but 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 i'm talking, saying the holistic <laughs> the holistic part is that yes. she then uses that language to unify and get the world talking to each other again. Exactly. And because on- the phone number that he calls. And yeah, calls yeah, yeah. And that's fine. Uh, see, this is, this is, I'm with you on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like, yeah, you say, you said the words of my dying wife. Yeah. Okay. Fine. It's a little cheap. Eric Heiser had an impossible task. Right. Agreed. I feel like he yeah. did an amazing agree. job. Yeah. To I be clear. But like, but like, yeah, to, to give me the, like the cool, like big picture, sociopolitical story and then end with the gut punch of like, I'm going to choose to have a baby, even though I know it's going to die. Like, yeah. like the, that incredibly personal story, but they're, they're both part of the same story somehow. You know, like most movies can't give me all those levels at once. Sure. And so any movie that can do that all at once in like a seamless way, I give it some slack, you know, because it's like, and I feel how like- do you do both those stories at once and make them hit me in the gut like that? Yeah. And then that's kind of exactly what I'm saying about the short story is I feel mm. like it's doing the science part and that gut punch together. And I feel like they're both successful at, at handling those things. And again, this is the thing I talk about in the video too, but I, but less cinematically because it's a different medium. Right. Right. They're yeah. completely different. I was also pretty sleepy when I was reading it. So maybe I gotta <laughs> drink some coffee first. See, like yeah. that like wakes me up. I was like, I was in bed last night and I was like, I need to finish this. And then I got to the graph of like the light refraction and like <laughs> the graph but, is cool. But like the light, like has to know where it's going it in does. order to that like, was like trippy no, to me. That was really saying. trippy. Like, science is insane and it's amazing. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Michael is nerding out I, right now. Dude, I have so many notes about all these nerdy things that I'm not going to talk about. But if you're a nerd, read the short story also. It's amazing. But I do like, I, I think, again, what makes the film work emotionally, despite perhaps not being mechanically perfect or whatever, is that, you know, that all the conflict comes externally. I feel like, like you were saying, Trisha, resonates thematically also. Mm-hmm. Like, humans are the ones causing yes, we are. the problem like right. the aliens are right. just here to like chill and <laughs> they really are like, it's literally <laughs> that you introduce like neutral aliens to humanity and, and we're we gonna end the world we, we, are, we yeah. are going to yeah and i i love that because i love when science fiction does that and just like again i talk about this in the video and there was some quote that i wish i could find that i read that some scientists said that when you study an other 
you're also intrinsically studying yourself. And I love that. And I feel like this movie is such a great example of that mm. idea. Yeah, absolutely. I have one last thing I want to mention real quick, which is we talked about how like pretty the movie is and all that kind of stuff. I think the cinematography is exceptional, but also all the centering it does. There's so much symmetry in it. Usually it's Louise at the center of a shot uh, where it's the the kids in the... Um, in the classroom looking and she's watching the TV and we're seeing her in the middle and the kids in the or her in the lake house looking out. There's so many shots where she's right in the center. I mean, the, the best shot in it, which is where she is standing right in front of the, the glass. Yeah. And then there's this, mm-hmm. the ring right on the glass and right. she turns mm-hmm. her head in the middle. It's so good. Right. And I just love that as a... Um, as a reflection of the theme yeah. of of the sort of symmetry, being able to see time all at once, being able to form a sentence all at once, and then you have the cinematography that actually reflects that. I think that's really cool. Shout out to Bradford Young, who was also the first African American cinematographer to be nominated for an Academy Award. Wow. Yay, yeah. Bradford he, Young! He knocked that out of the park, yeah. man. I love the way this movie looks. It's tremendous. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Well, why don't we go around and say what lessons we're going to take away from Arrival, Alex? Yeah, I think one of the lessons I took away is just, it's kind of a personal lesson, but I'm really impressed with any film that can cut to my like core and make me realize like the fragility of life and the preciousness of life and how it will end and it is fleeting. And, you know, a lot of movies have death in them. But you don't feel much. You know, there's a lot of movies about death and a lot of people die or, you know, it's very violent or something. But when a movie lets you know that, like, the people you love are going to die and we're all making a choice to love them while they're here, like, and it makes you feel that this deeply, I feel like it's a gift. I feel like it's, you know, that's almost like what I want more movies to do just to the population of, like, listen, you're alive and your loved ones are alive and like stop being horrible to each other. You know, it's, we're all going to die, you know? And I, and I think to have that like embedded in like an, also a really heady sci-fi movie is just so beautiful. And it's kind of what I aspire to with the kind of sci-fi I want to make. So yeah, just props to the team for, for pulling that off. Cause it's, it's what I want more movies to be. Yeah. And the emphasis on communication, right? Which like open lines of communication is how we love each other. Yes. Yeah. Which to me is like, that's absolutely the thematic thing that I like can't get over about this. Well, and also in in Louise's final choice, I think is so powerful because it's just the idea of like the person you love most is going to die, but you're going to choose to like go through the experience of loving them anyway, knowing the loss that will come. You know, that, that is the most bittersweet, poignant you know, thing. And I just, I love when movies do that. It reminds me of one of my favorite movies of 2019, The Farewell, mm-hmm. so which, which is this sort of like, I know you're not going to be around much longer and I want to spend time with you, but you don't know that that's going to happen to you. And that's very like, similar. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's heartbreaking. I think the lesson for me goes back to Louise's character design. And, and I wish we'd gotten to talk about this a little bit more, but she is an introverted character. She says actually very little. And yet her value system and her her passions are very clear. Like we really, she doesn't have to say a lot 
because the things that she does tell us everything about who Louise is. Mm -hmm. And so like thinking about the sequence where she is, she goes, you know, the, the first time when she goes and she encounters the aliens and then she, you know, like steps forward away from everybody else and, and walks forward. And then like in the next sequence where she's like, it is her job, but we understand that this is her passion and it isn't about a lot of like needless speaking. She doesn't speak ever for any reason unless it's to purely attempt to communicate. Like there, there are all of these choices that she makes, you know, where she like grabs the whiteboard, which again, what a beautifully like conveyed decision where she's sitting and zipping herself into her suit and she sees the whiteboard and she's like, doesn't say anything. She just sees it. The next time we see her, she's carrying it. Right. And then same thing with the, the scene where she takes her suit off before she goes in. She's like fidgeting with the, with the suit and we can tell how much it bothers her and it doesn't make sense to her and she doesn't like it. Then she looks over. She can hear the canary chirping. And all of that is visual. That is what film language is capable of. Like you have to do it in words in the short story, but you don't have to do it in words in the screenplay and in the movie. And you can absolutely convey who a character is if they are like a truly introverted person with all of these other tools that you have at your disposal as a screenwriter. And the way that Louise is designed is just so brilliant. If you just, and, and of course, brilliantly acted by Amy Adams from top to bottom. And I, it's one of the worst snubs in Oscar history. I can't believe she wasn't even it's, nominated. What? It just like, and she, she wasn't? wasn't no, Ugh. this movie was nominated for one, two, three, four, eight. Oscars, but not for Amy Adams, which, and I think she that's, was nominated for a Golden Globe as well, but that's it's, bizarre. It's, it's infuriating, weird. but also, yeah. It, it's like both Denny and Eric Heiser, like when Eric yes. Heiser was pitching it, he was like, I pitched it with like, it'd be cool to have Amy Adams, like from, <laughs> wow. like from like 2011, he was saying that. And then when they had Denny Villeneuve come in, he was like, I'll make it if we can get Amy Adams, like first choice from everyone and according the to the That's legend awesome. she said yes within 24 hours of getting the script nice so well uh, write an interesting character and people will say yes like write a really interesting compelling character even if they don't say a lot because that's the thing I think we as screenwriters fall into this trap of like well if we give this character cool monologues then right. they're a cool character you don't need to do that right. you can actually just design a well-written character that doesn't have to say very much but still is really clear and ah, it's so good. Yeah. Brian? Mine's, I guess, less of a lesson and more of sort of an observation, which is the, I listened to the audiobook of this short story, and it's about two hours long. In the movie, it's about two hours long. And there are things in the short story that don't even get covered. Like, there's more uh, relationship with her daughter and, like, fun little scenes where you're like, oh, I love this character. I love this relationship. And it makes it more heartbreaking. Meanwhile, there are two-hour movies that are adaptations of 500 page books and there's just so much plot shoved together and that kind of thing and obviously there are ways to adapt anything into anything if you know what you're doing um but it just it strikes me i'm really happy that we are sort of getting to a point where we're realizing that some stories need to be told in a certain amount of time um two of my favorite books of all time are american gods and good omens and I was so happy when they're like, no, we're adapting this into a Good Omens was a six part miniseries, which covered the whole book. American Gods was currently two 10 episode seasons that goes off the rails in terms of that being a true adaptation of the book. But it's like 
there's so much here. It's like a 550 page book. There's so much here. We're not going to try to make this a two and a half hour movie. We are going to really explore this territory. So I love when I see something like Arrival or the Shawshank Redemption or even Benjamin Button that's an adaptation of a short story where it's just like, look, there's a ton to explore here in this 60 page story. We can actually make a movie out of this rather than trying to take this like massive book and then just trim all the fat, trim all the stuff that is interesting and just like leave it with just the very surface plot level stuff and then turn that into a book. So yeah, again, I don't know if there's really a lesson there as much as more of an observation about what I think tends to work better as an adaptation than other things. Yeah, I I feel like my lesson kind of has to do a little bit with adaptation, but kind of more just film language and looking at Arrival, reading the short story, it kind of gave me these tools that helped reveal what makes each medium itself, I guess. We're mm. like reading the short mm-hmm. story, appreciating so much about it, and then seeing the film adaptation of it, which I think is also amazing, but makes very clear you know, what had to be removed, what had to be changed, reveals the the strengths and weaknesses of both mediums. And I think that's just a useful thing to have as a, a reference point of understanding what a film is and what it can do. Definitely. And like how to maximize those things. And I feel like Arrival, like the combination of, of everyone that worked on it also, like I think just really uh, lays that bare because I feel like it's it's in the filmmaking. And I mean that from like the, the screenwriting all the way to the director, everything that everyone touched it, like made it be what it is. And so it's a, a very pure example of like when filmmaking is happening, this is what the end result can be. And it's different from books and other mediums. And knowing those differences is key when you're trying to yes. create something. Yes, very much. Yeah. For those of you who haven't read the short story, it does do the same interstitial thing as the film, which is that she's telling the plot of the story. And then every once in a while, it's, oh, you're eight years old and I'm helping you tie your shoes, that kind of thing. So it does the same sort of, it's telling you the story simultaneously in the same way the mm-hmm. film does. And that's it. That part at least was an made sense in adaptation. And then there was all the other problems of, oh, it's a visual medium. How do we represent this? And it kind of reveals it slowly in its own way where like she's mm-hmm. talking about these moments in the daughter's life and you know I think at first she's sort of saying I remember when you were this but then she starts saying like I remember when you yeah. will do this and and right. kind of uses its like tricks of its own medium to kind of start incepting you with like wait a minute something's different the about these. exactly yeah. yeah right the story tells you the daughter is going to die pretty much right at the beginning right, right. yeah yeah it does. It's it's on the first page where mm. she's talking about the houses they lived in. And she's mm. like, mm-hmm. we bought this house two years before you were born and we sold it two years after you left kind of thing. And there's this one moment that I just want to like that for some reason really resonated with me in the story where she and the Ian character who's named Gary in the short story. Ian, such a better name. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, all the Garys out there. <laughs> Eric Heiser agreed. But they're they're shopping because he's invited her over for dinner. Yeah. And she goes... The bowl, the wooden she, bowl. Right, she, there's this bowl and she sees the bowl and then she remembers a future memory where the bowl like falls on her daughter's head or something and it's injured and it's this... For some reason, just that moment really spoke to me of mm-hmm. like these things, these tiny decisions that you make at some point can play huge roles in your life later on and I I feel like when I'm experiencing those moments 
you know, when the bowl falls, you know, whatever for me, it feels almost like time travel because I can remember like where this began and like now I'm here and it's, I feel like the the story captures that in a really beautiful way. So yeah. Shout out to the salad bowl. Yeah. And to Ted Chang. Indeed. Indeed. We didn't get to talk about determinism and free will, but one day, (laughs) one day we'll get to talk about this on the podcast. We talked about it a little in Minority Report. Yeah, I I know a little bit. I want to argue about it for a long time. All right. Um, But for now, why don't we talk about what we've been watching recently? Brian. Uh, Mine's a little different this time. Uh, It's a British panel show uh, called Would I Lie to You? Um, which is one of my favorite uh, panel shows. And it's, if you don't know British panel shows, it's like, it's a game show, but I do. no one cares about, <laughs> no one cares about points. It doesn't matter. It's more of like, they call it light entertainment over there. Um, so you have a host, Rob Bryden, and then you have two teams of three with two team captains who are on every episode, David Mitchell and Lee Mack, who are two of the funniest people alive. Okay. Um, and then on each team, there are two guests each time. And someone has to pick up a card that they've never seen before and it either says something true about them or a lie about them and they read it out so they're either saying i blah 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 this thing that actually happened to them or they're saying something that the writers wrote to put on their card and then the other team questions them for two to three minutes about what they just said and then at the end um yeah the other team has to then decide whether they're telling the truth or telling a lie interesting so obviously if you know it's a lie you want to make it sound really factual and really you want to put a lot of little detail in there and that kind of thing and if it's true then you maybe want to be a little iffy about things and maybe you don't quite remember Hmm. something um and it's just it's a really funny fun show you can actually watch on youtube they put up basically every individual clip so you can basically watch the entire episode just by watching all the clips together um but the reason I wanted to mention it, other than the fact that the uh, the latest season just concluded, is it's really interesting from a storytelling, screenwriting standpoint to think about what makes something believable. What it, mm. what first of all, what makes a compelling story that you're actually invested in, but also what are those little tiny things that make you go, ah, no, you know, there sometimes they'll be like, oh, he he mentioned like you know the color of the something and that suddenly made me go this must be real because he he's remembering that thing and sometimes they're just really good liars and they know that those little details Mm -hmm. are going to make you uh make you question or whatever so it's actually really fun to watch it from just an entertainment viewpoint but also an analytical viewpoint anthropological right exactly as well yeah that's really interesting it's almost like dramatic irony the tv show but also like humans are so bad at knowing the truth and telling lies i don't know it, it, it seems fascinating to watch on like many different levels mm-hmm. i'm intrigued and there's one segment where they bring out a guest and then each person each of the three people on a team has to say how they know that guest so obviously uh, like one only yeah, one of them is telling the truth so then they have to sort of like use like the guests like gender and age and how they look to like spot to sell what they're actually saying about who they are and that's everything. fun yeah makes me want to talk about malcolm gladwell for forever but, mm. but, but i won't <laughs> I right know now. what you're gonna say <laughs> trisha what have you been watching so i recently watched the 1995 gus van sant movie to die for mm. um starring nicole kidman and matt dillon has anybody seen this no, but are you just like looking for movies that are as similar to the new Bond title as possible? <laughs> <laughs> That's her only rubric. <laughs> no, because this is Nicole Kidman, Matt Dillon, Joaquin Phoenix, mm. baby, baby Joaquin Phoenix, uh, Casey Affleck, Buck Henry, and Wayne Knight. It's a wild cast. Wow. Uh, uh, uh. Uh-huh. 
Um, <laughs> no, I so I recently showed Moulin Rouge to a group of high schoolers who had never seen it before and didn't know anything about it, and they what loved it. Like? I'm, I'm okay. happy to report okay. they loved it Good, a cool. lot. Good. They were super. They were weeping. They were yelling and laughing, and they were really, really invested. Interesting. But um, I, this Nicole Kidman movie popped up, and I was like, let's check it out. It's Gus Van Sant, and um, the screenplay is Buck Henry as well, um, who I love as a screenwriter. He wrote The Graduate. Um, and, and a lot of other wonderful scripts. And um, it's kind of a Gone Girl meets I, Tanya, if you can <laughs> go with me. Okay. But it's it, Fast and the Furious. <laughs> but Nicole Kidman basically plays like she's the um, weather girl at like a small town news station kind of thing. And her husband, Matt Dillon, ends up dead. And so like she's kind of she looks straight into camera for most of the movie and like is telling her side of the story. And it's intercut with like a bunch of other you know different scenes and things like this. And and um, Joaquin Phoenix and Casey Affleck play these like teens who are under her influence and um yeah there's this sort of like faux documentary style to it it's goofy like nicole kidman is doing a very big impression of like this perky you know um like her voice is pitched like two octaves higher than her normal voices and her american Hmm. accent is dead on um but it is just like sort of she's doing like a bimbo kind of act it's really interesting i i mean it's not a perfect movie it's far from that it's just sort of like an interesting study on all of these actors um and like sort of a lost piece of filmography that i hadn't heard anybody talk about um and with like some murder mystery kind of perks in it and uh it's interesting no i really enjoyed it nice yeah very cool alex Alex. so my film this week is from the platform movie m-u-b-i and they are a, a sponsor of this podcast often they support us so I love uh, checking out their catalog. It's always changing. Um, but yeah, you get a subscription on their on their catalog and they kind of curate a really wide variety of films, some of them very recent, a lot of foreign films, some like kind of from the archives. It's always fascinating to see like, what do you got for me? This right. Week? Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I feel that some way are, too. Some like shorts also. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Documentaries. But um, I was scrolling through and I saw a familiar face. Uh Mr. Uh, Louis Garrel, who mm-hmm. you may recognize Dreamboat. from Little Women, uh, he he is uh, you know Joe's love interest. Uh, well, I guess it's a spoiler. I don't know. Anyway, it's he's, at the beginning he's of the, the movie. He's, yeah, the, he's for- the hot guy in the beginning. He's the foreign guy with the accent. Um, but yeah, he uh, co-wrote and directed and stars in a movie that is currently streaming on Mubi uh, called A Faithful Man, and it is like the Frenchiest French film I've ever seen. It was and it was delightful for that reason. It's just it was just so French. It was all about, you know, the French approach to love. You know, it's like everybody's kind of having affairs but very like stoic about it. And you know, it, I don't know. It was it was just very it was a very like charming, weird, uh kind of rom- I guess romantic comedy, but like in a very French way. So interesting. If you want to just have a French experience of love. <laughs> Wait, what country was this from? The Frenchiest French thing okay. I've ever seen. Faithful Man. Check it out. Nice. <laughs> so I recently finished uh, the last season of Bojack Horseman. Yeah. Which, mm-hmm. like, holy hell's just, like, so good. Uh, I, I feel like I can't talk about it too much without, like, spoiling it. But it's, we were kind of just talking about this we recorded a Q&A episode for patrons and we were talking about uh, how comedy can kind of weaken your 
your armor and lower mm. your defense yes. mechanisms such that emotion seeps its way in in a way you wouldn't normally let it. And I feel like BoJack Horseman is such a pure example of that, where just the concept of the show is even so absurd. <laughs> like, I remember when my girlfriend was trying to convince me to watch it. And I was like, hey, wait, so it's an animated show. It's a guy. He's also a horse. And like, what? He's an actor <laughs> in Hollywood. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like, on one hand, it's so, so goofy and absurd. Uh, but like right underneath it is some of the most like bitingly honest uh, observations about life and our society and what it means to be a person and depression and happiness and achievement and just all these things. Uh, and and there have been so many times over the seasons where you're like going along and this is like super funny and then it makes a left turn and suddenly it's like, how do I not cry? How do I not cry right now? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this this last season like just nailed it 100% for me and and is some of the most potent emotional like storytelling I feel like I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, so I highly recommend BoJack Horseman. It's really, really good. I feel like they ended on an, an awesome note. Yeah, it brings it home in the way that, that you want it to. And yeah. and yeah, the show is just like literally in an interstitial cut, it'll be a giraffe valet getting into a car and he has to like curl his head in order to like <laughs> fit in the car. And then it cuts to like, oh, addiction and sex. And like, I'm really upset about my life. And all this kind of right. like, oh crap, like we're, we're actually going here. And in a way it's, it makes it so much more effective than just yeah. showing humans uh, in, a, in a way that you're expecting to see drama. Mm-hmm. Right. Like almost by, by allowing itself to do that entire dynamic range, it lets you like have that, that far of an emotional switch within the same mm-hmm. piece of, of storytelling. So super, super good. Highly recommend. Yay. Yeah. Great. Well, this has been our conversation on Arrival. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you to the patrons who support the show. And we will see you all in the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. 